at some point you got to sit down and close your eyes and go within. And that going withinness is uh, is the preparation for truly being on your purpose, on your mission, on your path. This is the Mind Shift. I'm Shira Lazar, and I'm Jordana Reem. Together, we're the co-founders of Peace Inside Live. Every episode, we're exploring ancient and modern day teachings and stories to shift our daily challenges into growth. We're diving in with mentors who share mind-shifting perspectives for a happy and inspired life. Welcome to the conversation. On this episode, we're discussing how to find inspiration in stagnation. Meditation teacher Light Watkins joins us as our mentor, plus he shares his five ways to shift your mindset when you're in a rut. But first, Jordana, let's get into why we decided to start with this theme and this topic. Yeah. I think, you know, it started for us back in November or December of last year, feeling our winter period and the pause we took with our company, Peace Inside Live. Do you remember that? Do you remember the the, the pain that was there? Yeah. We had had a busy, great building blooming time, right? oddly enough, during the pandemic where we started this idea and this passion project and brought mindfulness and meditation to thousands of people, right, through these classes. And then suddenly after this, yeah, huge, I would say growth and then realizing we have something special, we hit that wall, right? And it really felt like a bit of a burnout wall, a bit of a, is there anything more we can do here? Like what's the next stage of this? A bit of that plateau feeling. And it, and it sucked, including when you're doing something you love, that feeling sucks. You almost dread confronting that feeling. Yeah. Well, this is a project that we said, we love this so much. We're not going to quit. And, you know, we, at one point were having 30, 40, sometimes even up to 200 people in a class. And then the numbers started dropping and, um, you know, it's, this passion project that is not even really fully paying for itself at this point in time. And we had to take a look at our own burnout and where we were spending our energy. And that was painful because you were wanting to do these regular classes and I was wanting to do retreats. And we ended up just taking this pause. And that pause, which was so nurturing for for each of us to kind of go on our vacations, was also when we came back to it, it felt like, it felt like stagnation to me. I don't know. How did it feel for you? Yeah, it felt like a, a, I guess it's strange. It's uncomfortable place to be when you don't know what you want to do next. Right. And I feel like we confront this at different points in our lives, in different places and spaces of our lives, whether it be professionally or in a relationship or with friendship. And it's, those moments that you want to avoid because you know you're about to hit something uncomfortable. And a lot of times you don't know what to do with that, right? Uh, And that also is a bit of a judgment that we put on ourselves because it might mean like, did I not do enough? Did I not do the right thing? What's wrong with me? Does this mean this is over? Should I just throw in the towel? And I think that in covering this topic today, It's about the exploration of what's possible in all of those crevices, right? Mm. Um, And the growth that happens when we can step away from something and from ourselves and take some time to reflect and take a pause. Yeah. Yeah. 
the stagnation is that pause. And I think one of the questions that, that we've been pondering is how long is too long to be in stagnation? When we were talking about uh, NASCAR and Formula One, we talked about um, how they've got an entire team of people who help them in the pit stop. And we've got the the NASCAR pit stop that is 12 to 16 seconds, which is considered really long because Formula One is three seconds or even shorter. And you said to me at that time when we were talking about it, you said, don't let the pit stop stop you for too long, which is yes. But how do you know when it's too long? And it's that feeling of discomfort that we or at least that I've begun to become more comfortable with because it's super icky in that moment of, oh, what is here? What is here? What is here? But if I come out of the discomfort through fear, because I don't like being in the discomfort, then what I'm creating isn't as genuine as if I've really felt to the core of that discomfort. What am I really feeling here? And what inspired action do I need to take Uh, an action from love versus an action from fear. And so I think that if we can tune into and and really meditation is, you know, you and I both love this. I think that's why light Watkins is one of our mentors. Meditation is one of those ways that we can tune into ourselves so that we can really know when it's time for us. And only I'm going to know for me, you're going to know for you when it's time to take that inspired action out of stagnation because we just can't take the stagnation anymore. It's just, it's absolutely not serving, not because we're uncomfortable, but because now we feel that spark of what Mm. gets to be next. Yeah. And I think we get to be kind with ourselves. I think what I've learned in moments of (laughs) non-productivity where the productivity, it didn't feel authentic anymore. It just would lead to burnout if I kept going. Um, Was the fear of failure. It's a fear of letting go of control. And what's even deeper in there is acceptance of what is and the beauty of whatever is in that moment, whether I'm producing, whether I'm in uh, promotion mode, whether I'm you know, out there in the world and people are seeing me or whether I'm in the mode right now where I'm in hibernation, right? And that's all okay. And we learn so much in our own hibernation of peace inside life of our baby, right? And mm-hmm. and I think that's where we get to go. I, I know for me, that's where I've had my biggest growth in saying it's like, it's all okay, whatever part of the process that I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I really like the, the inquiry. Mm, what if there was absolutely nothing wrong? And so looking at even our own stagnation, what if there was absolutely nothing wrong? And really there is absolutely nothing wrong because you and I both know that we're going to keep going. And if we've got that in our hearts, I'm going to keep going with this. Then that stagnation is a beautiful part of the process. Yeah. Painful. Exactly. And today we're not just leaving you with some of these ideas to ruminate on or these questions, but we actually are going to be bringing you tools and action that you can bring into your life. And so with that, let's move to our special mentor today. Yeah, let's hear from Light Watkins and let's learn how to shift our minds from stagnation to inspiration. 
I am so excited to introduce our special guest today because this is someone who actually taught me Vedic meditation. I learned my meditation practice in his apartment in Los Angeles. He is a best-selling author, an accomplished meditation teacher, founder of the Shine Movement, and an inspirational keynote speaker and workshop leader. I mean, he has delivered over 500 wellness-themed talks around the globe since 2007. He also has a new book out. It's called Knowing Where to Look, 100 Daily Doses of Inspiration. Light Watkins, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. I mean, I love the full circle moment, how I, I've, I, I really, my own personal growth journey really began in many ways in your one bedroom, not one bedroom apartment, there's multiple bedroom apartment in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And you've left Los Angeles, you've since become a nomadic, mindful leader. How mm-hmm. do you go from model to where you are now in Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I don't think we have enough time to get into all of the twists and turns, but, um, I was, I, you know, you mentioned my last book, uh, or my recent book, knowing where to look, it's about inspiration. And I was, uh, getting, I was, I was following my own inspiration just in all these ways and trying not to, to overthink it. And, um, you know, so in one moment, my inspiration said, move to Los Angeles from New York. That's where I was, I was modeling in New York. And I'd started dabbling in the board game industry. I was creating board games with a buddy of mine and he had just gotten married in Los Angeles and I was spending more time out in Los Angeles. And I just felt inspired by the vegan scene. I was a heavy vegan at the time. And uh, so I moved out to Los Angeles and really enjoyed myself. And I ended up being in LA for like 16, 17 years, which was crazy because I hadn't been anywhere that long. And then I got the inspiration to get rid of all my stuff in 2018 and started being nomadic. And I was probably circumnavigated the globe two or three times since then. And obviously with the pandemic, you know, things slowed down a bit. And I, I decided, you know, that I wanted to go somewhere that I was very inspired by. And that happened to be Mexico City because I had been spending some time here just before the pandemic. When did your journey with uh, meditation begin? So that actually started with the modeling when I was living in New York. You know, one of the things about modeling and then looking at you two right now, and I could, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, I, if both of you were models at some point in your life. But... Okay, I'll take that. I'll take it. <laughs> you were a model, right, Jordana? No. <laughs> no? Actually, you know what? That's not true. Oh, no. I, I was a model for a vegan shoe company, but those were my feet. There you go. There you go. <laughs> So um, the thing with modeling is that you only have to work two or three times a month to be able to pay your bills. So you have, you have a lot, unless you're like, you know, a supermodel, a Mark Vanderloo or, or Kate Moss, you know, these are old school supermodels. Um, you have a lot of downtime on your hands. So I was using my downtime to uh, develop this board game concept with my buddy who I was telling you about, as well as... Uh, practicing lots of yoga. And then in the yoga scene, this is like in the mid nineties. So this was back, you know, early days of yoga. And I would get invited to these meditation circles. And it'd be like three people there because not many people were going out of their way to meditate. And, uh, and I was, you know, we'd be sitting on the floor with our legs crossed back straight. And, and the teacher who was usually my yoga teacher 
would be guiding us through these experiences. And at the same time, I was reading all these spiritual books. I was really into conversations with God when I was living in New York. And that's all I wanted to talk about was metaphysics and esoteric stuff. And I was getting deep into my diet and just all the different ways to heal, to balance, to purify. And so, um, so that's where it all started. And then when I went to LA and, uh, and then I met my meditation teacher in LA in February of 20, of, uh, 2003. And I didn't know anything about different styles of meditation. Um, but he happened to be a transcendental meditation teacher, a former TM teacher, I should say. And so that's what I ended up learning without realizing that that's what I was learning. But I, I took to it like a fish to water. And then I knew instantly that I wanted to become a teacher myself because I was having such profound experiences. And I really loved my energy, my teacher's energy. And but there was no there was no path to becoming a teacher. Right. Because, again, we're talking 2003. There's no apps. There's no YouTube. There's no. This is the Beverly Hills Library, and that's pretty much it. And uh, and then in 2006, he int- he invited me to come to India with some of his other protégés in 2007. And uh, and so I kind of had that in the back of my mind. I was teaching yoga at the time, and I was pretty good at teaching yoga. So I had these big classes, and uh, but I knew that I was going to drop all of that and go to India, learn how to teach meditation, come back and be a full-time meditation teacher. So I did that. I I went away for about four months and came back and started teaching meditation out of my one-bedroom apartment in West Hollywood in this old Russian like deco building. So I'd have all these people lined up coming into my apartment. (laughs) And I turned out I was pretty good at that as well. And I, I attribute my experiences with struggling through meditation those early years uh, with giving me the ability to speak to the struggle that a lot of people have and to help people kind of break through that with uh, helping me become uh, a very essentially very popular meditation teacher back in those days. No one was teaching meditation. This is like, you know, four people teaching meditation probably full time in LA. I was probably a two or three people, including myself. So, so I probably taught a couple thousand people in those first few years. And then I took it on the road and started going back to New York to teach. Then I started doing these retreats. And then I started um, writing books. I wrote my book, Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying. And uh, that was very well received. And so, yeah. And then, you know, I just started writing more books. Mm. And, and actually, I was following your daily dose of inspiration before I even met you as a teacher, mm. I was with a friend in New York talking about how I wanted to learn Vedic. He goes, oh, mm. you got to meet this guy Light in L.A. We're mm. walking out of Soho House for lunch and Light is sitting at the exit having <laughs> lunch. So then I, you go, OK, email me. I actually happen to have a teaching the next week. Right. Mm. So I email you and I go, your email popped up. So. I was like, how do I have Light's email? Well, I've been following oh, his newsletter for the past year. Wow. And you know what's interesting is I started writing those daily dose, doses of inspiration because I, I didn't consider myself to be a very good writer. And I wanted to practice for the book Bliss More that I was going to have to write. And so I thought a great way to practice would be to have to, to write a daily email. And because it's, it's public, I have to think about what I was writing and, and, and try to improve upon my writing. So that's really interesting. And I, I, I can imagine 
I don't rem- I kind of vaguely remember the conversation now that you say Jesse is the one that introduced us, but I probably had you email me because I just wanted to see if you were serious or not. <laughs> yeah. And then I showed up the next week with my boyfriend at the time who that was the whole other story. Of coming. <laughs> and then we went on lights retreat. Anyway, this isn't yeah. a personal therapy session, but, um, well, speaking, I think that goes back to like you just starting the newsletter to practice writing goes back mm-hmm. to like, your, um, your, efforts or desire to really do things without waiting for those things to come to you. And just like Mm -hmm. you jump in and that's really something that you teach and preach Mm -hmm. through a lot of your work, which I, I love. And it's really great for our theme today about ruts and stagnation. You've obviously been accomplishing what you've done, but have you felt stagnant or in a rut? And when you have been, how do you push through that? And has that changed over time? You know, it's interesting um, because I feel like I'm always stagnant and in a rut. <laughs> but it's relative, right? It's relative. I mean, compared to the average person, I would be considered someone who takes lots of risks and chances and leaps of faith. And you're right. That's why I write about it, because a lot of times I'm just writing, I'm preaching to myself. And, yeah. um, and that's what it takes for me to finally pull the trigger or to take the leap is, is writing about it and inspiring other people to do it. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to, if I'm going to really write about this, I have to be authentic and do it. Now I'm being a little bit modest here. I, I have taken lots of leaps, but you know, I, I remember, um, I remember watching Chris, Hadfield's Colonel Chris Hadfield's master class. You know the platform master class, right? So Chris Hadfield is a is a NASA astronaut, and he's got a wonderful master class. And he talk part of his master class. He talks about uh, space movies, right? Where they're depicting astronauts, and the one that he he has the most fun with is Armageddon. You know, I think it was. Uh, Ben Affleck or whoever or, or Bruce Willis, one of those, you know, some of those action guys were in this movie. They have to go and, and blow up this asteroid before it, just, it destroys Earth. And they're in the cockpit of the space shuttle type of vehicle. And they're like, I'm coming in hot and I don't know if we're going to make it. And he's just cracking up. He says, this is this would never happen with, you know, with with real astronauts, because when you're when you're in the field, when you're in motion, you've already trained for every possible scenario. So you're calm, you're collected. You you're not hoping the mission is going to go well. You know that you've already trained for the mission. And so I consider uh, practices like meditation and other inner work to be sort of like the simulation of being comfortable in 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 situations that are uncomfortable, right? Finding comfort and discomfort and knowing and, and feeling a thread of connection that what you're, whatever's going to happen, you're going to be fine. It's going to present you with an opportunity to grow, to transform, to expand. And, and so when I'm taking these leaps of faith, oftentimes it, it's not, the, the scary part is just before you take the leap, because it's something new and this, this is how humans are wired. Whenever you're doing something new, there's some fear there usually. But once you're in motion, once you're in the air and 
your feet have left the ground, you've taken the leap, you know the next, like there's a part of you deep down, just from your work, the work you've done, you've cultivated the awareness that, hey, the net's going to appear. It may not look like what I thought it was going to look like, but I know that I have the capability to do it again. If, if I don't like where I land, I'll just take another leap and I'll keep leaping until I land in a place where I feel is aligned with, with what I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking for. But, uh, it's the, and that's the process, right? It's, that's the process. There really is no outcome that is going to be the end all be all of your life experience. The, 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 the deal is you, you're taking, you're making a lifestyle out of taking these leaps of faith. And so, so you're, you're practicing getting more comfortable with taking the leap into the unknown. And that is continues on throughout life, right? So yeah, at a certain part, once you've been, once you've landed in a place and you've been there long enough to get familiar with it, that's where this, the stagnation starts to occur because you have another, there's another uh, urge or hunch to take the next leap. And, but time slows down for you when you do this a lot. And, and for you, stagnation may be two weeks, but two weeks may seem like an eternity and someone else may be two years because they, they're not used to that. So once you get the cue, you know, okay, it's time to, to leap, but I'm really enjoying this right now. Or I kind of want to, you know, rest up a little bit more before I know I'm going to do it at some point, but I just, you know, I just, I just, I don't know, you know, you just, that's the conversation that I'm having. And I'm sure we can all relate to that conversation on some level. Um, but eventually you have to get back up on the cliff and take the next leap. And, and so shake things up a little bit more. Ooh, wow. I, I'm sure people can relate. I can totally relate to that. I, I was I was not a model previously. I was an executive producer and mm-hmm. I was feeling that need to make a leap for probably two years before mm. I did. And and it was this um, uncertainty. I didn't know what that leap was going to be. And I felt like I needed to know what the leap was going to be before I could make it. And, and I, I love this, like, it's like almost like we've got leap of faith muscles that we're, that we're working on in this practice, right? It's like, how big are my leap of faith muscles? But mm-hmm. really, um, and, I, and I know that we must grow that from taking those leaps. But what about that period of time? For me, it was two years of thinking, okay, um, this isn't it, but I don't know what it is. What if someone is in that period for, for years? What can they do to get to get to that point where they're ready to jump? I would say just meditate, you know, and, but the people who are, who work with me and who are around me, they I sound like a broken record. So I'm just like, just meditate, just meditate, just keep going within, keep going within. The more you familiarize yourself with the, your internal landscape, which again is a process of becoming comfortable with discomfort because your mind is what you're essentially having to kind of move through. And that's very uncomfortable to have to really uh, be exposed to the same thoughts you probably have wanted to hide from or or distract yourself from, but to really go into it and lean into it and just, just, just uh, allow yourself to, to, to be with that. It prepares you to, to take the leap of faith. So, you know, and a lot of people will say, well, especially guys, guys hear people talk like this. I'm sure no one listening to the Be Here Now Network feels like this, but regular people probably, you know, they think meditation makes you soft. 
and I've, I've written about this before. I said, no, actually, it's the opposite. Meditation makes you bold. It's really hard to stay in a dead-end relationship or an unfulfilling job if you've been meditating on a daily basis. It's really easy to do it if you haven't been meditating because then you can just distract yourself with other things, social media, alcohol, drugs, and make up all kinds of really legitimate sounding excuses of why you need to do those things. But really, it's it's distracting you from taking the leap into some direction that is take, that is moving you towards your greater purpose. So with meditation, it's hard to ignore that because the signal becomes so it's like a jet engine. You just it's so loud and piercing that you yeah. that. You can't distract yourself from it. It's with you every day. It's with you all night. It's with you in your meditation. You start seeing signs everywhere. Random people say stuff that, you know, evokes it and conjures it up. And so you find yourself just kind of almost being pushed off the edge. It's like that, you know, that cartoon on social media where it has the the guy standing on the cliff and it has this finger behind him, kind of like a like it's about to thump something. And it says yeah. the fingers, God, the cliff is God, the hand that's in front of the cliff is God. You know, it's like everything about the situation is divinely organized. And yet when we don't have access to that internal landscape and that sense of connection, everything seems separated and isolated. And that's why it can be so scary. It's because we don't feel the connection. We can read about a connection. We can see positive thought quotes on Instagram that um, are about the connection and we like them and everything, but you have to really feel it. And that's what meditation does is it allows you to feel that connection. And that's why we're still talking about it 6,000 years later, right? You can't get around it. At some point, you got to sit down and close your eyes and go within. And that going within-ness is the preparation for truly being on your purpose, on your mission, on your path. Light, what do you what do you think about people who say and you mentioned like some guys that say this, but what about people just say like, oh, it's a privilege to be able to take time to meditate like it's not this idea. I don't know if you're hearing this, just like how unrealistic or unaccessible some of these tools are to certain communities or groups of people these days. Um, I would say that they are 100 percent correct. It is a privilege to be able to meditate and to even be in spaces that expose you to these practices but i don't think meditation itself is any more of a privilege than having a good night's sleep like it's a privilege to be able to sleep through the night if you live in a place where there's gunshots all through the night and you know water leaking in the ceiling and um you don't have proper heat or ventilation or your place is moldy you know that's a reality for a lot of people and that speaks to a larger condition of our society that still needs to be addressed by people who have the capacity to put themselves uh, in uncomfortable situations, which most people don't have. So uh, when you look at the Malcolm X's and the Martin Luther King's and the Gandhi's of the Mother Teresa's of the world, these are people who were able to put themselves in very, very uncomfortable situations for long stretches of time. And what we've seen is that the change that we all want to have in our society is usually initiated by those kinds of people. And so when you look, you know, when you, when you look deeper at those people, you can it becomes apparent 
that uh, on the other side of their their bold actions was some sort of outlet for all of the backlash and the retaliation and the stress that they were experiencing, right? So you, some, a lot of them were depressed. A lot of them were, um, you know, some of them were addicted to certain things, behaviors and substances, smoking and these kinds of things. So whenever we're encountering large amounts of stress, there's always got to be an outlet for that stress. And if we don't have a progressive outlet for it, then we end up turning to a destructive outlet for it, meaning that outlet robs us of our ability to um, to stay balanced and healthy and, and mentally sharp. So when, when King was assassinated um, and they did the autopsy on his body, they said that if we didn't know this was Dr. King, we would have thought that this was a 60-year-old man. But wow. King was assassinated at 39. He was 30. He was only 39 years old, but he had the heart and the liver and lungs and the aortas of someone who was almost twice his age because of the stress that he accumulated. You know, and he, he again, he was he was living under the constant threat of, of death. So that's why I would say, you know, meditation, while um, being exposed to it is definitely a privilege. It's it's a necessity because it's a it's a clean outlet for the stress that one is taking on. And if if one wants to be efficient in addressing some of these larger systemic conditions that are keeping you know large groups of people um, impoverished, then uh, it can be very useful. It can be very useful for maintaining your sense of purpose and your sense of mission. And, um, and so, yeah, again, if we go back far enough in history, the people who were, especially in, in, in Central Asia, the people who were the most impactful all had a meditation practice. And it's something that kind of got lost along, along the way. That ability to be with the discomfort um, and to do it in a healthful way. That's, um, and, and I mean, and that's how the change happens. That's how change happens within ourselves. And that's how change happens within our systems and society and culture is from that place. Would you say that it, should everybody have a meditation practice? Um, I'm a little biased, but yeah, <laughs> yeah I think so. And go to lightwalkins.com. <laughs> I tell my students, I say, look, I, we don't meditate just to be good at meditation. You're doing this to be an agent for change. If you're not out there using your practice to change some aspect of the world or yourself, then you're just killing time. You're wasting time. Like, you know, don't ignore what's, what's whatever, wherever your heart is guiding you to. And this is the other thing people all, everybody fantasizes about living their purpose. I want to be I want to have my purpose. I don't want to just work at Xerox or I don't, I want some job. I want to have my purpose. I want to be passionate. I want to have, find my calling. And what they don't realize is that your purpose, your true, true purpose is not going to lead you somewhere that's more comfortable or that creates abundance and success and all of that. Those people I talked about early, they all died impoverished. They were all completely broke. Right. But they were the icons for social justice, for peace, for transformation on a societal level, for change. And, you know, there's no correlation between 
following your heart and becoming more comfortable. It actually is the opposite. It makes you less comfortable because it puts you in a position to create some sort of meaningful change. And whenever you do that in our society that is, in a lot of ways, it's run by people who have, uh, who have perpetuated ignorance, then you're going you're gonna to get some resistance and you're going to get some retaliation and it's going to be very difficult and challenging and uncertain. And, uh, you know, and, and in extreme cases, you may face threat of death or, you know, and if you're bringing, if you're a family person, they're exposed to all of that too. So that's why more people don't, don't do that. They don't follow their heart because their heart mm-hmm. is telling them to do something, to stand up for something that would put them in a very exposed uh, position. And, uh, you know, a lot of us don't have the, the, the appetite for something like that, but, but, but that's essentially, uh, that's how, you know, you're, you're living your true, true purpose is because you don't know where it's going to lead to. If you know where it's going to lead to, that's not your purpose. That's what Joseph Campbell says. How do we feel like we're moving while also not being, maybe too goal oriented or is that possible? Like, does that make sense? Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with being goal oriented. I mean that you Mm -hmm. definitely need that. You need to be strategic when you're following your heart when you're taking those leaps of faith. The problem is where is when we, we take our cues from the part of our mind that wants to strategize. Like that's not the cue needs to come from the heart, right? So the heart gives us a certain feeling a certain vibration. Like I was having lunch with a friend of mine who went to um, Brown University and to go to college. And I said, why'd you go to Brown University? She said, when I, when I went to visit, it just felt right. I didn't even, I didn't even know much about it. I just had everything about what I was seeing, what I was experiencing just felt like I was in the right place. And it was, that's where I was supposed to be. And I was so glad I went there because, you know, X, Y, and Z experiences and, and it was just the perfect place for me. And so that's how we all have that capacity to like drop in and, and feel that. And we've all felt it at certain points. Maybe when you met your partner, it felt a certain way compared to meeting someone who clearly wasn't meant for you. Or when you walked into your apartment to be, it felt a certain way and you knew it. And so I think we just need to become more and more familiar with that feeling. But once you, once you have the feeling, right, then you need to go and, and use your strategic mind and say, okay, well, how am I going to, this apartment is, is, is $500 more expensive than I was planning that I'd budgeted for, but I, it feels like my apartment. So I need to call such and such person and I need to move money around and I need to you know, do the things that I need to do to make this happen because I know I'm supposed to be here. So it's not, it's not really an either or situation. It's a both end. We just want to get the right sequence. The sequence is follow the heart first, then strategize. Okay. So following the heart, having a meditation practice to tune into the heart, what might that look like for someone who hasn't done it before? Uh, for someone who hasn't done it before, so so again, I don't want to toot my own horn here, but that book I mentioned earlier, Bliss More, the subtitle, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying. 
And so I wrote that book for people that you're describing, people who haven't done it before, who may hear this talk and think, oh, wow, I really want to have that experience, but... And then they start going to all the excuses. I've tried it before. My mind is too busy. My body's too antsy. I'm too this. I'm too that. And they have disqualified themselves from thinking that they could be good at meditation. So that's why I use the word succeed. And the way I define succeed is to meditate in, in a way that you feel, um, you feel like it's enjoyable. Right. That's how you know you're success, successful at meditation. So I'm literally teaching people from having no experience or a bad experience and then taking them through the steps to have an enjoyable meditation experience for 10 or 15 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. The other thing to understand is that there are two kinds of meditation, right? There's guided meditation where you have someone whispering in your ear, telling you, like think about Jordana. this. Oh, like my, like this voice, like this yeah. one. <laughs> which is, which is fine, right? That's more of like the mindfulness approach. And then there is silent meditation. Silent meditation is when you are literally sitting in your living room, right? On your couch or in your rocking chair or whatever, with your eyes closed, and you're just in your thoughts. Now, Silent meditation is more closely aligned with sort of traditional meditation. Guided meditation is more like a, a, a training wheel version of meditation. You need somebody there to tell you what to do. So if you've been using, say, Headspace or, you know, Insight Timer, you've been experiencing guided meditation, which is great. It's a great place to start. But eventually, if you really want to go deeper into your practice, you want to graduate yourself from guided experiences and into the silent meditation. So Bliss More is a way to understand silent meditation and the apps and all of that. That's a way to, to, to get into guided meditation. So maybe you start with the apps, then you go to Bliss More. Then maybe one day we'll be sitting in a room together and I'll be taking you through, you know, the, the in-person instruction. Yeah, I highly recommend it. It, I, it's my go-to for so many moments in my life when I just feel like my head's going to explode, anxious, overwhelmed, you know, it comes back to the Vedic meditation that light taught me. So thank you. So mm. we do have some beautiful social questions from our community. We had a great question come in from Madeline. Let's hear what she has to say. Hi, Jordana. This is Madeline. I feel stuck and I'm feeling a lot of stagnation in my life around my chosen partnership. Uh, we're actually coming up on our anniversary and uh, I love this man, but we, during the pandemic, had to make a big move uh, away from the city where my work and my career is to the middle of Texas and his job and career are thriving. And I'm in this place. I think a lot of women find themselves where I'm doing a lot of sacrificing. We got a new uh, dog and <laughs> we are building a very nice life that is very, very separate and far away from my dreams before we got on this call, right, we talked about recording separately and 
you know, I told you I didn't have a way to do that. And then it occurred to me that I could use my voice thing on my phone and record through my phone thing. And so it was, you know, it's not the perfect alternative, but it works. It works for now. It works. It's good enough. And I would say anybody in that situation, if you truly love someone and yet you're not getting your needs met, where there is a will, there is a way. And so we want to attend to the way that, you know, finding a way out of no way, as opposed to thinking about um, uh, ending something with someone who you apparently are very deeply in love with. Right. So so that's what I would say. Start there. Start. And I'm sure she's already been thinking in this direction, but. I would say challenge yourself even more. And so the challenge I like to play with myself when I'm in a situation like that is I, is I put myself in the assistant role, my own assistant role, right? And I say to myself, if I was being paid a million dollars to figure this situation out, like I have to figure it out. Not figuring it out is not an option. And whatever the, maybe a million dollars isn't motivating enough for some people. So whatever... Whatever is motivating enough for you, right? Imagine you're in that scenario and you have to figure it out. And so what would you do, right? Coming back and saying there's no way to figure this out is not, a, is not an option. It's got to be some option. It may not be sexy. It may not be elegant at first. But again, that's, it's, it's about starting with something and then iterating from there. And then... Um, and then maybe, you know, that works out for a year or so, and then you got to change it up again. And you just got to keep doing that. And I think with any relationship dynamic, that's really the good stuff. You know, those little mini sacrifices and the conversations that you have to have and both people have to kind of give and take at different times. That's what a relationship is at the end of the day, right? There's no perfection happening there's no perfect outcome to any rela relationship because let's say he left his job and they moved back to wherever they were before. One of them could get diagnosed with a terminal illness and now they have to deal with that, right? And so that becomes the new adventure. It's like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to figure this out? You can't work now. You were the breadwinner of the family, but we're in the place where we love. So let's try to work this out. And that's, you know, life it's just a series of these different plot twists that we have to work out. And it's just a lot more interesting at the end of the day if we can find creative solutions to these, these situations. So that's what I would say is just continue um, uh, brainstorming for creative solutions to the situation and thinking outside of the box is really important. And don't don't take cues from other people. You know, keep listening to your heart because that's where the best ideas are going to come from. Mm. In yeah. a relationship dynamic, just a follow up question to that. So finding that creative solution, is that Madeline's work to do on her own or does she do that with her partner? She's the one who's experiencing stagnation. Is it up to her? Yeah. Is it up to the two of them? Well, the solution, the creative solution, maybe let's have a dialogue about this. Let's do pros and cons and see 
you know, so you can understand what I'm experiencing. Cause maybe he doesn't, you know, guys are famous for compartmentalizing stuff and not fully understanding until you really sit, sit us down and like, it's almost like you have to grab our face like a dog and like look us right in the face and tell us this is what my, I'm experiencing. It's <laughs> very frustrating. <laughs> this is what it feels like. I know it's very, very frustrating. And then we're like, really? That's what you're experiencing? Even though you've repeated it and hinted yeah. at it for months and months and months. But a lot of times we don't, we don't, that's not, you know, we don't think in the same, we, we're not operating from the same operating system, essentially. So, and also, so maybe I, just being clear. Yeah, I also, and I've been through this where at a certain point you can love someone and had a great chapter with them, but sometimes it just, like, there's a choice that gets to be made if it mm -hmm. doesn't work for this period of your life. Like timing is so important for everything, right? Yeah. And look, it's, also, and it's, 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 I think it's, it's more, uh, mature to make that choice when both parties understand what the stakes are versus yeah. someone feeling neglected and then snapping and saying, I can't take this anymore. And then the other person's like, what do you mean? What, 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 I didn't understand. I didn't know anything was wrong, you know? And, and then it feels like somebody got, you know, got uh, shortchanged in, 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 in the deal. And yeah. that, that creates, you know, more drama and unresolved conflict and you know and it's it's better just to to be open and honest and and not and don't make any assumptions don't assume that they know what you're experiencing don't assume they know how it's important to how important it is to you don't assume that they heard you in the way that you need to be heard like you really have to be very very clear you have to be vulnerable you have to be transparent you can't take it personally if someone you know, reacts because you're making it sound like it's all about you or, or they're making it sound like it's all about them. You have to understand that none of us have been trained in expert communication and relationships, That's true. right? So everybody's just kind of struggling their way through this and dealing with our own triggers around everything. And so I think giving, giving yourself and your partner the benefit of the doubt and and being willing to have the longer dialogue, you know, it's not going to get resolved in just one or two or five conversations. It's got to be a dialogue. And maybe it involves going to therapy and all kinds of other, you know, uh, modalities to help help you guys work your way through this. And then maybe after you try all of that, everybody's super clear. I'm clear that you really want to be in Austin and I really want to be in Seattle and we both feel like we found our calling, right? And if you really truly feel like that, then you're not meant to be together in that way. Maybe you're meant to be separated and still maybe together, but just not in the proximity of one another for a period of time. And that's the deal, right? But you have to be, you, you wanna be as clear as you can and make sure the other person has an opportunity to get as clear as you feel. And um, and then you make your decision of what the best thing to do is. We need to have a whole episode just on getting out of ruts in relationships. <laughs> so with you here, like we need to know five ways to get out of a rut. If we are going to have that list of five things that someone can do 
today, in this moment, tomorrow, what would those things be from your okay. experience and perspective? Number one, obviously meditate, right? You need to kind of go within and get familiar with the inner landscape. Number two, you need to move. So meditation is a way of resting the nervous system. Then you need to move your body. You can't sit on the couch and expect to get out of a rut. You got to get up, go for a walk, maybe aim for, you know, 5,000 steps a day for a period of time and just get moving, get walking. Everybody can walk usually. Um, and, uh, and if you can't walk, then just move in whatever way you can. Maybe it's doing light stretches and stuff like that. Number three, you got to get into nature. Get yourself around a tree, get yourself in some grass, get yourself on a beach somewhere and just, you know, maybe even take your shoes off and just walk around because nature, there's an intelligence in nature that you're not going to get in your apartment. And there's a sense of connection and unity and sentience that you're not going to get while you're sitting in your car or in your apartment. So get in nature. Number four, get into some water, get into some water, take a bath, take a shower, um, go into a lake, go into a jacuzzi or whatever body of water, swimming pool that you can get into and just be in the water, allow it to support you. I'm not talking about going in swimming laps, just be in the water. And it has a stimulating effect. That's why we come up with a lot of ideas and epiphanies and ahas when we're taking showers and stuff is because there's this water is also a part of nature and it can, it can bring us back to our true selves and then number five, I would say to um, to eat something that is life sustaining. So no chips, no Cheetos, no chocolate cake. Eat some, you know, carrots, celery, salad. Uh, drink some water. You know, eat something whole and nutritious. And if you do all of those five things, which you, any person can do all those five things in a single day, you will not be in a rut that day. Wow. So that's what you do. Basically, if you wake up depressed, lack of inspiration, you have a bunch of things on your plate, you do this and then you jump in or like, what does light do? Does light, does the teacher get in this space? Ideally, you, you want to, you want to build your life around these habits, right? You want to make a habit of, so I, in my life, I walk 10,000 steps a day, every day. I naturally aim to consume whole nutritious foods. Not all, I eat pizza sometimes, I eat burgers sometimes, but my foundation, the foundation of my diet is plant-based. And uh, so I eat, I try to eat as many plants as possible. I meditate every day like clockwork. Um, where I am right now, I there's parks all around me. So I, I was walking through a park today and uh, yeah, and I shower. <laughs> there are no big bodies of water in my city where I am right now, but I definitely make sure to take showers and when, when, when possible to take a bath. And, um, so yeah. And I would say also, if you have animals or children that are around you to definitely go and spend some time with, with them, that, that'll be a bonus, uh, six, six thing to do. But yeah, if you make a lifestyle of doing these things every day, um, you may still be in a rut from time to time, but it won't, last as long as it would otherwise last if you are only doing these things uh, sporadically. I have to ask this question. This is a, this is sort of a fun one, but is it ever 
good or okay to stay in a rut? Is there a period of time that you can allow yourself to be in that rut? Because sometimes it just feels really good to feel bad sometimes. <laughs> it feels good to feel bad. <laughs> yeah, look, I think if anything, it reminds you of why you don't want to necessarily be in a rut all the time, but you won't have that feeling to get out of it if you don't stay in it as long as you possibly can. So sometimes the misery can be instructive as well. The suffering can be instructive because it gives you a point of reference for what that feels like. For instance, from time to time, I get these headaches, right? When I'm not in my routine, when I'm not eating properly, I may get a headache. I hate, hate, hate headaches because I can't do anything. I'm lying around all the time, um, you know, and it's just, it's just annoying. And so I'll make sure to make I'm do to do the things that I want to do because I have that point of reference of what happens when I don't, when I eat too much sugar, when I drink alcohol, when I stay out too late, I don't sleep very well, I wake up too early, I'm around a bunch of assholes. Like those are the things, those are the triggers that lead to headaches for me. And so I don't like having that experience. So it, it, it makes me stand in my power a lot more and, 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 and uh, have boundaries, have stronger boundaries because I have that point of reference. So if, if, it, if it takes you being in the misery and in the rut for a long, long enough time to be able to say no to somebody, then, um, then, then do what you got to do. What about creatively? You have so many projects. Do you mm -hmm. ever get in a place where you're like, oh, I don't know which one to say yes to or no to or how to move forward on one? Like, how long do you give yourself to percolate on that? Does it need to come right away? Or like, what if you are in that creative mode? Is it similar to what yeah. you just said? You know, I've written about, I wrote about this on my fifth year anniversary of writing my daily dose emails, which was just this past June. And I said, one of the things that I've learned from this experience is that knowing what your purpose is. And so my purpose is to leave people feeling more inspired than I found them. So when I'm doing my writing, when I'm creating content to post on social media, when I'm um, working on my books, that's what I have in the back of my mind. And so that's the filter through which I'm screening all of the things that I'm putting out into the public and even private stuff. You know, when I want to ask a gossipy question, I think to myself, is this going to leave the energy in the room better than, I, than it was when I walked in this room? And if the answer is no, then maybe, maybe I'm not going to ask that question. Even if I'm in the mid, mid question, I may think, you know what? Never mind. I wasn't going to say anything that was too inspiring just then. And so knowing your purpose becomes your best editor, right? If you, if you don't, if you find yourself being constantly confused and, and, and um, indecisive creatively, then that's just a sign that you're not as clear about your purpose yet. You're getting there, but do more inner work. You know, make sure you're more consistent with your meditation so you get to that point. And then once you get clear about it, you won't have that issue as much. It'll still be there a little bit, but it won't be dominating your your uh, your actions or behaviors or decision making.
I love that. That was perfect. I wanted you to share something about that. So I'm happy you did. We do have rapid fire questions right now. I don't have a okay. sound effect, but I feel like we should have one. Okay. <laughs> exactly. All <laughs> <laughs> <Call> that and <laughs> um, so what does spiritual mean to you? Spiritual means all inclusive. So in other words, the more you can hold in your awareness, the more personalities, the more character traits, the more uh, types of things and people and situations, the more spiritual you are. Is there a teaching that has changed your life? Uh, the, my meditation teaching has been completely life-changing. It's giving me it's given me the ability to tune in more to my intuition, which I feel like is the most important thing in, that's happened to me in the last 20 years. What are you inspired by right now? Right now, I am inspired by... Um, uh, Mexico City is a very food-forward city, and so I'm inspired by the the um, foodie scene here. I, I'm always looking to find new and interesting restaurants to, to try out with friends. If you could create a billboard that everyone in the world would see, and, and maybe I already know what this is going to say, but, but what would it say like? <laughs> I'm curious to hear what you think it would say. <laughs> Something about meditation or something like something that? Something about meditation or something like that. <laughs> um, I would say, I would say, be here now. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. What's been a mind-shifting book in your life? Um, the first book that I just thought of was The Alchemist by pa Paulo Coelho. Love that book. That book mm -hmm. is a book that I read before I started meditating. I was I was a yogi mm. and mm. it made me understand that there was some kind of magic that happens within that shavasana and within that that space. Mm -hmm. Really cool. The the backstory of the book is also really inspiring and beautiful with the author who didn't be, start writing books until he was in his 40s because he grew up in Brazil and his family uh, wanted him to be a lawyer. And he refused. And, uh, and every time he refused, they would throw him in the insane asylum. They put lock him up in a mental hospital. He would escape and he would try to do his own thing, writing songs and stuff. And they would throw him back into the mental hospital. And this went on three times. And by the third time, imagine if you knew somebody who had been in, in a mental institution three times and they kept escaping. Like most people would think that person was a little bit like one time it's like, okay, maybe they made a mistake twice. Okay. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt three times. What's wrong with this person, <laughs> you know? So, but the, what the beautiful thing about it is he said, because everybody thought he was crazy. He felt like he could do whatever he wanted to do because he didn't care what people thought anymore because everyone already thought he was nuts, you know? And, and you don't realize how attached you are to other people's opinions until that purpose grabs you and you you stop it from happening because you're like, oh, I can't do it. I can't. But really, it's I'm afraid of what everybody would think if I failed. 
if you knew you were going to succeed, you would do it because you would be heralded as this, you know, brave person who did this amazing thing that no one thought you were going to be able to do. And you were very successful. You made a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. And so The Alchemist became the most translated book in the world. Um, I think 68 million copies or something like that in all these different languages. And he wrote it in two weeks, um, which is unheard of for someone writing uh, a book of any sort of, of note. And it got rejected by all the publishers except for one, and then it collected dust. And it took about nine or 10 years in order for it to start to get traction and become a best-selling book. So he literally lived that experience that he wrote about in the book. And it's just, it's just amazing. I just love that story. In fact, if anybody wants to hear more about his journey, there's a wonderful Oprah interview on her podcast, which is uh, Super Soul, the Super Soul podcast. Just search Oprah Paulo Coelho, and, uh, and it's a two-part interview, and he talks a lot about his journey in detail. And I think it'd be really instructive for people who are, who are also feeling um, called to create something, but they don't, they're too afraid of what everybody would think. Well, Light Watkins, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of that beautiful wisdom. Again, you could follow Light everywhere at Light Watkins. New book, Knowing Where to Look, 108 Daily Doses of Inspiration based on the newsletter, of course, which you should definitely subscribe to as well. Just want to thank you all for having me on. I'm honored again to be here. It was a wonderful conversation, great questions, and, uh, and I'm wishing you all much success in this podcast. Oh, that means a lot. That means so much. Thank you so thank much. You. Uh, so we want to just try to close with one long belly breath together. <laughs> sure. And taking a deep breath into your belly, all the way in, fill up, feel that belly expand. And then as you're ready, open your mouth, just let it go. <sighs> Landing here together. Thank you so much, Light. Thank you, everybody, Thank for you. listening. Thank you. Such a pleasure and an honor. Thanks for listening to The Mind Shift. If you want to continue your mind-shifting journey, head over to peaceinsiders.live. Become a Peace Insider and join our community with live classes. Plus, follow us on social media at Peace Inside Live. And if you have any questions and want to be featured on the show, slide into our DMs. Thank you for showing up today. We'll see you again soon.